Psalm 115 is a vindication of God's name. A vindication of God's name. From the Jewish perspective, a name represents an individual's character or nature. The author rebuffs the pagans' accusations against God and his character. They claim that God is not present and that he has forgotten his people. However, the psalmist assures God's people that the Lord has not forgotten them, and in due time, he will bless them. He then warns the pagans, questioning God's name or character, that Yahweh will indeed vindicate his name. Now, we're going to take this psalm, 18 verses. We're going to divide it into four parts. First of all, verses 1 and 2, an entreaty. Verses 3 to 8, an exposure. Verses 9 to 15, an exhortation. And verses 16 to 18, an explanation. So let's begin in verses 1 and 2 with the entreaty. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, why should the nation say, where now is their God? See, the pagans are asking, where is God? Where is your God? Now, we don't know what devastation may have come upon Israel or not, but it appears, at least to the pagans, that God is absent or at the least indifferent about their situation. And, you know, many times as Christians, we are in a similar situation. You know, something has devastated us, something has rocked our world, something has uh, happened that has uh, just overwhelmed us. And, and we begin to wonder, you know, God, why are you silent? God, where are you at? Why are you not there? And so much so that even the pagans of today would mock and question and, uh, and conjole us that, well, our God is not real. Our God is dead. Our God does not exist. And so in light of the question, the psalmist prays in verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. What he's saying here is, God, if you will appear and act, you will vindicate yourself. In other words, I don't need to vindicate God. The psalmist doesn't need to vindicate God. God can vindicate himself just fine on his own. Uh, if And what we need to be praying for is God Vindicate your name. Not God deliver us because, uh, you know, we need vindication or because, you know, we're going through a tough time. But first and foremost, God, vindicate this situation because of your name, because of your character. See, it's his name that is to be praised. It's his name that is to be honored. And so we should long to see God act, not for our benefit first and foremost, but for his you know, ask yourself, why do you long to see God act? Now, you know, pick a, pick a situation in your life, pick a circumstance, uh, and ask, why am I asking God to act? Are you asking him to act solely so he can get you out of tough jam or he can deliver you from some difficulty? And again, nothing wrong in praying for those things, but our first uh, and foremost priority should be asking God to act so that he will be vindicated, so that he gets the glory, so that he gets the praise. And the psalmist calls upon God to vindicate his name because of who he is, because of his character, because of his name. He talks about his mercy or his covenant love, his truth or his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. Because God is, a, is merciful, because he is faithful, because he is trustworthy, Lord, we want you to vindicate your name. We want you to act so that the world can see you are a God of mercy or you're a God of the faithful one. You're the trustworthy one. God, keep your covenant, be true to your promises. And in doing so, it will shut the mouths of the naysayers. Now, in verses 3 through 8, we come to the exposure. But our God is in the heavens. 
He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak, eyes they cannot see, ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. So in the midst of God's quote-unquote inactivity, and really God's not inactive, but that's man's perspective, the psalmist says, he, though invisible, is still in heaven reigning. He is in heaven, and here's the key, doing whatever he pleases. God is not accountable to you or me. God does not have to do what pleases me or you. He does whatever pleases himself. We are accountable to him, not him to us. Instead of Yahweh... The Gentiles worship the idols of this world. And I love this, this uh, expose, if you will, this exposure of the gods of this world. All these idols, they're, they're, they're made from silver and gold. Uh, they're made of precious metals. But guess what? As precious as those metals may be, they're worthless. And here's why they're worthless. They can do nothing. They're not even, they don't make themselves. They're made by men's hands. What kind of gods are these beings that have to be created by the creature? As creatures, we're created by the creator. But these idols, these false gods, are man made. They have mouths, eyes, ears, noses, hands, feet, and yet they can't speak, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't smell, they can't handle, they can't walk. All of this can be contrasted to the true God who speaks. We see that in Genesis 1-3, and God spoke. We have in Genesis 6-8, a God who sees. In Psalm 27-7, we have a God who hears. In Genesis 8-21, we have a God who smells. In Exodus 15-6, uh, we have a God who handles, uh, uh, and a God who walks. So look at the closing uh, statement here in verse 8. Basically, he says, listen, that those who are made like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. In other words, you become like what you worship. We become like that which we worship. If you're worshiping an empty idol, you're going to be an empty person. Put it this way. What do you worship? If you worship lust or passion, your life is going to be filled with lust. If you worship pride, your life's going to be filled with pride. You're going to become prideful. The thing that you that is most important to you is what you are going to become. So if you want to become godly, you have to worship God. Verses 9 to 15, let's look at the exhortation. The exhortation in verses 9 through 15. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small gather together with the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Now, one of the first things we see in verses 9 through 15 in this exhortation, and it's an exhortation to trust, uh, is 
he addresses Israel. He addresses the house of, of Aaron, and then he broadly addresses all those who fear the Lord. So in essence, he's addressing Israel, the Jewish people. He's addressing the priesthood, but he's also addressing Gentiles who fear the Lord, all those who fear the Lord. And then we notice, what, with, along with this threefold group of people who he's addressing, who he's exhorting, is that we're to trust in the Lord. Each of these groups is to trust in the Lord. And if we trust in the Lord, he'll be our help and our shield. The key is faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. Without belief, we cannot please God. Without trust, we cannot please God. That's the idea of faith. It's belief. It's trust. It's reliance on who he is. So God is calling us to trust in him. Three times, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. And, each, and when we trust him, he'll be our help and our shield. Again, verse 9, 10, and 11. And a, a shield is, is a small, round, defensive piece of armor, usually uh, made out of wood or metal, and it was carried into battle. God is our shield. He is our protector. And as we trust in him, as, as a warrior trusts in his shield to protect him from attack, so he will protect us in the day of battle, especially when we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And, you know, we need to understand that is that, that truth, that fact, that we are engaged in warfare. Paul tells us in Corinthians that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in heavenly places. That's who our battle's against. We're engaged in a battle against fallen angels. Paul says again later in 2 Corinthians, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Now, we move to verse 12 to 13, we see God's blessing. Though it appears God has forgotten his people, he hasn't. He is still mindful of us, and he is going to accomplish what he has promised, and that is to bless us. So even though God may be silent for a time, and though the Gentiles, the pagans, they may deride us, listen, God is going to be true, and we can trust in him. We, we have a historical record of God's faithfulness. It's called the Bible. And then in verses 14 to 15, the psalmist turns from his confidence in God's blessing to the content, okay? Now, what is the content of this blessing? I love, he goes right back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord. Now, when we go right back to Genesis 1, what do we find there? After, after humanity was created in God's image and likeness, he gave them a command in verse 28. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And what we see here is the, a, a great principle that even after destruction, there is reconstruction. Okay? Now, specifically in Genesis 1.28, he's talking about multiplying people. But the broader principle is that God expects us to reproduce, or to reproduce what? Well, broadly, not just children, but reproduce spiritual fruit. And so if God has rescued us out of the destruction of sin and has saved you, then he has saved you to multiply, to produce fruit. You have faith. You put your faith, you put your trust in God and obey him, and that's going to produce fruit. 
And as God sees that fruit production in your life, he is going to bless you. He is going to give you increase. That's his promise. And notice that it all comes from the creator who made the heaven and the earth. Now let's go to the explanation and then let's wrap this up with verse 16 to 18. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. But as for us, we'll bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Where does God dwell? He dwells in heaven. That's his home. The heaven, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord. Uh, it all belongs to him. And so the psalmist gets right to the heart of the matter. Uh, we have a responsibility. Here, here, here comes the explanation, okay? Because God does act, because God will vindicate his name, because we are to trust in him, because he does bless us, here's what we need to do. We need to praise the Lord. Look at the last three words of verse 18. Praise the Lord. Folks, listen. He, The heavens belong to him. The earth, it's his, but he's given it to us. You know, again, talk about blessing. He has blessed us by giving us this earth, but it ultimately still belongs to him. So whatever's in the heavens, whatever's on the earth, all of these things are, are objects for which we can praise God for. And notice, the dead do not praise the Lord. Now, again, you have to understand this from the perspective of the psalmist. Uh, you know, in the progress of Revelation, the psalmist understands that they die and they go down into uh, Sheol either into a lower chamber or upper chamber, lower chamber being hell, the upper chamber being Abraham's bosom. But, you know, his point is that, you know, the dead aren't praising God in the sense that, you know, I'm sure the people in Abraham's bosom were still praising God, but nobody can hear them. Nobody's hearing them. There's no testimony to the world around us. You know, the only, you know, when we praise God, and, you know, it's not just praising him in our head, but publicly declaring what God has done, that is a testimony to everyone else. Dead men tell no tales. Dead man can't praise God. But while you're living, you need to be praising the Lord. You have been blessed, and in turn, we need to bless the Lord today, tomorrow, and forever. Because God's going to bless us, we bless him. And, and again, the praise has to be perpetual. It has to be continual. God never ceases to act. We should never cease to praise. And when scoffers scoff, and they will, Listen, you don't need to vindicate God. You just keep worshiping God. You just keep praising God. God is sovereign. He'll justify. He'll vindicate himself. You sit back and just keep being faithful. Put your faith in him. Put your belief, your trust in him. And as you do, you'll please him. Father, Lord, we come to you in a moment of prayer and we thank and praise you. Uh, that you are the sovereign one. And, and thank you, Lord, for not being accountable to us. Uh, you are far greater than us. You are more magnificent than us. Uh, indeed, Lord, we are accountable to you. Uh, yet, Father, we confess that there's times that we wonder what's going on. We don't understand why you do what you do or when you do it. Uh, Lord, perhaps we've even been guilty of questioning whether you're even still there or still listening. But Father, may we be reminded from Psalm 115 that indeed you are still in the heavens, you're still at work, though we may not always say it, but you're always at work, and you're always at work on behalf of your people. And so, Father, I pray that you'd uh, use your spirit in our life to move and direct us to see your works. We can't see the wind, 
but we see what the wind does. And so, Father, even when we think you're silent, help us to see and hear uh, that you're not silent and that you are still working on our behalf. Father, again, I thank and praise you that I don't have to vindicate you, that you can vindicate yourself and you do it just well. Father, the theme of many of these psalms is the fact that uh, we need to praise you. And Lord, we have much to praise you for. Uh, but Father, here we see that we're to praise you because you've blessed us. So Father, let us count our blessings. Let us uh, go through and number them one by one. And uh, as we do, Father, may we in turn publicly declare what you have done. Father, we give you the thanks and the praise, and we ask this all in the matchless name of our Savior. Amen.